Hey, Jeff, it's good to be back for season two of Zero In. Are you excited? Yeah, it really feels that way. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been a little bit, but good to um, get back to this. Yeah, for sure. And uh, today we have a pretty pertinent topic. We're going to talk about millennials slash Gen Z investing and what people our age tend to do with their money that they save. Uh, so, Jeff, I guess I'll start off with, do you invest and what do you do? Yeah. Um, you know, invest might be kind of a strong word, but I've definitely been fortunate enough to save up uh, a bit of money. So um, put it in, you know, I would say like blue chip, larger stocks, just because, you know, tends to be a little bit more stable. Um, you know, a lot of my friends like to play around a lot more, but for me personally, it just takes up a lot of brain, you know, mental capacity to think about investing all the time. So I just have some money and it kind of just sits there and grows a little bit, not, not anything too exciting. Yeah. So I actually think that is sort of the conservative way to do it, right? That's what a lot of classes will teach you to, is to put your money in safe index funds and then just let mm -hmm. it sit there. Some people even like to diversify at this age into bonds or mutual funds or, you know, a, a lot of other asset classes. But I yep, feel yep. like there's a trend in our generation, especially with the rise of Robinhood, Webull, et cetera, to essentially treat the stock market kind of like the casino, you know, and yellow money here, there into <laughs> the stuff that, you know, it, that's kind of hard to comprehend, honestly, like, you know, options, trading. Uh, and I think another big topic is crypto. It's, it's a phenomenon that wasn't here in the past, and it's pretty prevalent throughout our generation. So, do a lot of your friends, you know, put most of their money in Robinhood slash crypto or, you know, what are the trends have you seen in your friend group? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, so at face value, like I would kind of expect like people with more money to be a bit more conservative about how they allocate their funds. But what I have noticed is people who, you know, tend to have more savings, are also the people who are a bit riskier with their decisions. You know, one of my friends is like doing an investment club and he's always like talking to me about, you know, the price of Dogecoin or, you know, excited about how he's finally broken even again, you know, after like three months of losing money. So uh, it's just, it's really interesting to think about. And I'm curious where, where you fall in that spectrum as well. I think a bit of everything. Um, I would say like the bulk <laughs> of my money is still in passive index funds that are supposedly safe and, you know, they just grow over time, yeah. very boring. And I think this is because of just the financial discipline that my parents have instilled in me since I was younger. And so I just mm -hmm. sort of follow what they do, which to some people might be like boomer shit, you know, <laughs> but um, I, I think, you know, time tested statistically, this is the way to go. But I, I definitely have a part of my portfolio, not like the majority by any means that are in these things like Robinhood. And I have a decent crypto portfolio too. And I, you know, to me, it's like, I try to treat those portfolios as like, if I lose all of it tomorrow, yeah, I'll be really sad, but it's not like a huge dent in my life, you know? Mm. And for me, I actually sort of separate out my accounts by the app. So obviously you know, some of my, most of my investments are in those more traditional companies like Fidelity, Bank of America, et cetera. But I treat my play money um, in Robinhood, 
because i don't know to me like robin hood is just like the epitome of like like watch those colors like go green and red every 10 yep. seconds and see what happens you know like you're at 2000 the hour before and then 1000 the hour after so um that's how i sort of like demarcate my investments is is, is by the platform that i'm using mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a good way of thinking about it and i think i think you're right you know robin hood definitely has the cleanest ui and you know, maybe, maybe that's how they suck in or pull, you know, suck in has a kind of bad connotation, right? But that's how they bring in new, new customers, people who maybe can't afford to, you know, invest that much of their money, right? But just kind of want to play around, get their feet in the water, see what it's like to uh, actually own something. Yeah, and this speaks to Robinhood's business model as well. You know, they're the ones that pioneered uh, zero commission trading. So how do they make money? They make money off trade volume and then they sell that <laughs> to market makers essentially. So they have to encourage large amounts of trades. And how do you do that? You gamify stock trading essentially. When you look at the user experience across platforms from Fidelity and then you compare it to Robinhood, you realize Fidelity really tries to, or you know, comparable platforms try to sort of educate you on what are good trades or are not, not good trades. They're meant mm-hmm. for sort of the investing conservative, you know, but Robinhood with this whole design, like you said, it's the most modern, it's the sleekest, it's mobile friendly. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's all designed to make you look at the stock uh, and look at the screen for as long as possible and make split second decisions on when to buy and sell. And that's, that's, that's what Robinhood is. And it's, if it's it a market, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, fidelity, uh, I'm also on like M1. And, uh, honestly, like sometimes it feels like it's almost too painful to spend your time on the app. Right. It's just like a little bit more difficult to navigate. Whereas on Robinhood, it's so easy to just like, you know, move your money around. It's, you know, you can do it you know, I know people who do it every day, you know, and it, at the end of the day, right, like, that probably doesn't affect their lives that much. But I think about trying to do that on another platform and it's just like, you know, it's not worth the time, right? It's, it's a little bit more painful to do. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's confusing to do it on other apps and they're not honestly well made. Robinhood has <laughs> a really big emphasis on user experience, actually. And that's why I say, you know, they're very, you know, mobile focused and, Gen Z millennial focus. It's 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 honestly aimed towards a lot of little kids. <laughs> you know, you read all these articles about these 12, 13 year olds going, you know, what do you want for your birthday this year, honey? And it's like, mom, I want $500 to open up a Robinhood account, which technically you're not supposed to do either, but that's the state of things right now. It's that you get a group of friends and they're all just like, oh, let's yellow like GameStop t- <laughs> this week and then Blackberry <laughs> the next week. And yeah, that's a, that's a major shift in, I, I wouldn't even call it investing at this point, but just the trading landscape in general, you know? Yeah, uh, and it's definitely affected how, how everyone else thinks about, you know, the stock market as well, right? With GameStop going from, I mean, at this point, it's what, like 140, 150, coming off a high of like, you know, 350, uh, which is absolutely insane to think about. Yeah, and... I think, you know, going back to the crypto thing, um, another trend I see is just a shift in asset allocation among younger people and older ones. Mm-hmm. So for example, one of the more well-known alternative assets in older generations has always been gold, right? 
Gold is uh, somewhat of a hedge against inflation, somewhat of a hedge against equities, et cetera, et cetera. It's an alternative asset. But they've done studies where basically showed the younger you are, the more likely you are to substitute gold with crypto. So Bitcoin is the new digital gold, you know, um, <laughs> which is really interesting because like, you know, when people debate the philosophy behind cryptocurrencies, you can get into the, oh, it's not actually worth anything. It's not even good, like transaction platform. <laughs> I think you can also argue is like, you know, what is the worth of gold? Yes, it's a, it's pretty, it's shiny, and it's also used in silicon chips and whatnot. But honestly, like, you know, I feel like all value at the end of the day is just uh, man-made, you know, it's, it's, it's subjective. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've totally assigned, you know, some value and we're saying like, oh, well, this will always hold its value in some way. Um, but, but in some way, right, it's just us kind of establishing that value or having faith, which is, you know, no different than the, the paper dollar or, or uh, cryptos. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like fiat currency only has as much value as our entire system decides to place on it, right? If for some weird reason tomorrow we decide um, the Fed Reserve doesn't mean anything and that the dollar is worthless, the dollar is worthless. It's a piece of paper. You can maybe draw on it, right? But that's about it. Um, so I, I actually want to ask, like, do you think people in our generation tend to be riskier with their investments or it's more or less going to be the same no matter what generation you are? Yeah, that's, that's kind of tricky to think about because, you know, there, there are always people who are riskier, right? Uh, but in the age of social media, it's the kind of thing where those people are just elevated to the top, right? You know, someone's on TikTok about it or you see them, them posting on Instagram and that, that kind of jumps to the top of your attention. Whereas like in the past, you know, people who lose hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, cra crazy trades, we, you know, you might see it in the newspaper, but it's not, it's not quite the same kind of news. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to say, but at least to me, it does seem like the, the average person that, that I know, like seems riskier than, than our parents' generation. But at the same time, right, that could just be because we're younger. And that's kind of how it works. You know, as you grow older, as you have a family, like it's more important to have this, this safety net. You know, I, I couldn't see my, my dad risking anything really now that I think about it. You know, he's like, oh, well, cryptocurrencies, they're, they're a sham. Like GameStop, like it's not worth $300, which, you know, it's probably not. But, uh, you know, I couldn't see him even thinking about participating. Yeah, I agree. I, I was just going to say, I feel like age really is a factor. When you're younger, you just tend to be riskier. But I also wonder if just technology in general has had an effect on how risky or just even how accessible investing has become. I'm just mm -hmm. thinking in our parents' generation, pre even 90s, right? When the internet didn't exist, like, what did you have to do to invest money? You had to like go to a bank physically, open up an investment account, and call your stockbroker to make <laughs> trades. Like, that's some right. that's some serious work right there. Or at least in my head, it is. And then the internet came along, and then you could start placing trades online. But then you know, even then, you sort of had to make an account. It wasn't seamless. Mm -hmm. It's only in the past 10 or so years where you really have this mobile revolution. Everyone can open up an account in the palm of their hands. And so when investing becomes so accessible, I think that also distributes risk along the population too. So yeah, yeah. it's probably part of it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, on that note, I'm curious what you think comes next, you know, with Robinhood IPOing and 
you know, its competitors doing well. What, uh, what does the future of, of, of investing look like to you? Honestly, I'm not too clear on this. I just want, I want to say probably generally investing will become even more democratized. I think the trend is that stocks, uh, well, you know, equity, bonds, things like that, uh, traditional investment vehicles are already pretty democratized through things like Robinhood and whatnot. But now maybe alternative assets will become more democratized in the future. For example, there's that company called Masterworks that sells shares of art pieces, right? So it's, it's mm-hmm. these types of assets where anyone can, com- uh, not commoditize, but uh, essentially securitize. And now you got that trend of N- NFTs too. You can turn anything into a, a blockchain token and sell it. And so I think, in general, it's just making all kinds of assets and all kinds of investing much more accessible. And I think some assets are going to turn out to be scams and some aren't going to, you know. Actually, on Facebook the other day, I saw an ad for investing in wine bottles, too. Like, it, this is how oh, no niche way. we can go these days. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, the, the real interesting thing is, like, like we were talking about, right? Like, wine bottles, that, that is something that, you know, the wealthier people in the past you know, and it essentially did invest in, right? They just hoard, hoard wine bottles in their wine cellars and just something you can hold on to. And it's, it's worth something too, and, uh, you know, decades down the road. And it's, you know, it's just really no different than, than stocks or other assets. I, I just did a quick search and, you know, just let's do some math here, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, like the, the amount of Americans who own stocks is about 40%. Now that's gone up to about 53%, uh, which is, you know, it's not, it's not everyone, but you can definitely see some sort of increased accessibility there, uh, both from you know, wine bottles, but also to owning shares of Facebook or something like that. Right. So going to the quote of with great power comes great responsibility. Do you think kids these days are more financially educated than, you know, the parents in the past? Or do you think, honestly, things like Robinhood or whatnot are pretty dangerous in the hands of kids when financial literacy hasn't really caught up to the democratization of, of finance right now. Hey, that's a, that's a startup idea right there, right? Getting financial literacy or financial education to kids somehow. I, now you're right. I don't think we've really closed that gap yet. Um, and, you know, just thinking back to what that type of personal finance education looked like you know, in school and it, it really wasn't there. So even now, like, yes, you have more accessibility, right? Like Robinhood, or like other apps will teach you a little bit as you go. It's, it's not going to get you to the point well, where you'll, you know, necessarily know how to make the right decisions. You know, obviously the right decisions are different for everyone, but I, I don't think they're really geared towards teaching you how to do everything. They're more just, you know, like, like a casino, like a roulette, right? trying to give you the experience and trying to get you to stick around, boost their trade volume. They're not, they're not really here to teach you how to do everything. Yeah. And I think in our financial system right now, it's kind of a rich gets richer model in terms of financial literacy too, where you tend to have kids who come from decent backgrounds, be more fiscally responsible just because that's kind of the values that they were taught. And obviously that's a generalization, but I think that is a trend in the country, you know, it's just they have more access to resources, they're exposed to 
all the financial instruments in our country more. And I think that's a shame. So it, it, like you said, mm-hmm. it really is a gap that I think as a nation, we need to address whether through a startup or government programs of instilling financial discipline and literacy among um, you know, younger adults. But yeah, it, you know, I, I'm just thinking on in my school, there never really was like a personal finance club or anything, or a personal finance class. Um, mm-hmm. A friend and I actually started a personal finance club, but I mean, that, that wasn't, yeah, we didn't really do much. Not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it always is. <laughs> but you, you get what I mean, right? It's like, I almost wonder if one semester of personal finance or something should be a required class across the country just to let people know like what our good habits were our bad habits, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to get that same quality of education, to everyone that's, you know, almost impossible. Right. Yeah. I just think about the, you know, when I got my first paycheck, it was, you know, a couple hundred dollars and I was like, Oh, like, what am I going to buy? And my dad was like, no, you're going to put it in a bank and we're going to get you a credit card. You know, <laughs> it was yeah. like that, that whole thing. You know, definitely I feel fortunate enough to like be in that position. Right. Whereas, you know, if, if, he wasn't there and like if we weren't as well off like you know probably wouldn't have used that money in that way yeah for sure so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about another trend that seems to be pretty prevalent once your generation that there's no other time in the country where young people have been so burdened with debt which i think a lot of it comes from student loans honestly <laughs> and, and other debt in general and so how do you think that affects how we think about investing and saving? Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard like a pretty wide variety of responses. You know, I've heard people say like, oh, you know, I'm so hopeful that, uh, you know, President Biden will you know, forgive some student loans or something like that. And I've also heard people say like, oh, well, that's just like pennies. You know, it's, it's meaningless at the end of the day. Um, and I've heard people say like, oh, like at this point, you know, I'm so, so far like, so in debt that like you know money money's like fake at this point it doesn't like mean anything and there's people who are like oh like i've got you know tens of thousands of dollars in debt so i'm like paying it off like bit by bit you know as as interest accumulates so i think everyone kind of has a different reaction um just based on their based on where they're coming from uh but at the very least you know a lot, a lot of my friends have student loans so it's definitely something that we we talk about pretty often yeah i mean I feel like sometimes people feel so indebted that they just don't even have the cash reserves available to start investing or start saving for retirement, uh, which I think is kind of a shame. So I guess that's a whole nother topic in itself um, (laughs) how to deal with debt and student loans in this country. But I guess it's pertinent to personal finance at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost feels to me like you know, I've got, I've got a good amount of student loans, but I, you know, I know people with significantly more, uh, but it feels to me, I'm almost like unqualified to speak on it just because, you know, there's people with a lot more like financial responsibilities that they have to like deal with. And for me, I'm like, Oh, it's like accumulating interest, but you know, I, I studied computer science. So like at the end of the day, like worst comes to worse, I'll probably be able to find a job and slowly pay it off, you know? Um, which, which isn't so bad in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people, uh, a lot of recent, you know, graduates who, who are struggling a little bit more than that. So it's not, it can't be easy. Uh, so Derry, do you have any uh, useful financial advice for our listeners out there? You know, like what should we be doing to, uh, 
you know, start saving for retirement or just so we'll be more comfortable in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think the things I'll suggest are just advice that anyone will give you, which is maxed out all the retirement earnings that you can, whether it's your mm-hmm. Roth IRA or 401k, up to the point where, you know, you still have enough to live your life. But the power of compound interest will amaze you over time. I mean, even in the year that I've started working, I've just seen the numbers go up so much. And I, I think it also is a factor of it's been a spectacular two years in terms of stock market performance. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's one part. I think the second piece of advice would be, I feel like when you're young, you should go 100% in equity in terms of your asset allocation, just because you're likely not to draw out that money. So there's really no point in putting money into bonds because over time, that's just not, you know, it, it, it doesn't return the same type of performance. And during a recession, you're hopefully not going to need that money, unlike someone who's close to retirement, who actually has to think about weathering all kinds of economic situations. And so I guess practically that means don't mm-hmm. just throw all your money into those like target funds in your 401k, but rather actually choose some smart mutual funds to invest in. Uh, no, that's, that's some great advice right there. Um, I guess the one thing I, I just want to add, well, honestly, I feel this is a little bit surprising to me, but, um, you know, I was fortunate enough. My, my dad was like, Oh, you should have a credit card. Right. And if that's something you don't have yet, like it's, it's good to, you know, start building credit as early as possible. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I feel like there's a stigma against credit cards for some reason. When I was in high school, people would always say like, oh, it's so dangerous. Oh, it's so bad to be in debt. But if you use credit cards wisely, they're actually, it's free money in a certain way. You know, you get travel points, mm-hmm. cash, cash, uh, cash back, a lot of bonuses when you sign up for credit cards. And there's so many ways to deal with um, not impacting your credit score as well. So just if you don't go crazy, credit cards are actually your friend. And like you said, it builds up your credit, which is makes it easier to get mortgages and loans in the future. So I totally resonate with that advice. Sweet. It was great talking with you. I know it's been a while, but uh, it's been amazing to catch up and chat about something that is it's really, really important to uh, me and our generation. Definitely. It was a good topic to start off with again, and it's good to be back. But uh, until next time, Jeff. Yep. See you soon.